And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, December 29th, 2020, and this happens to be the 50th podcast that the E-Town Lowdown has done on the COVID pandemic. So uh, not something that uh, we really wanted to happen, 50 of these, but uh, it's still here and, and we're doing what we can. And we have our very good friend, Miss Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital on the line. How are you, Pam? I'm very good. Made it through the Christmas holidays, waiting for the New Year's holiday. And I'm looking out my window, and I'm looking at dark clouds, and it might snow. So, you know, we've been lucky, but uh, I think the snow's coming. Hopefully only an inch or two, and then I think it's going to warm up a little tomorrow, and hopefully it'll all be gone by tomorrow night, right? That would be lovely. (laughs) So can you give us a quick update since we last spoke two weeks ago, long before the Christmas holiday, as to uh, the census, patient census at the hospital? Absolutely. So two weeks ago, we had 48 inpatients uh, with COVID and eight of them on vents and one waiting test results. And today we have 44 inpatients with COVID, four wait on vents and two awaiting test results. Um, We had uh, deaths last time, 128. In the two weeks, we've had 10 additional deaths, so we're at 138. DuPage County went from 55,013 positive patients to 60,473 positive patients, and deaths went from 904 deaths to 1,003 deaths. And our state went from 858 positive patients to 944 positive patients, and deaths from 15,458 to deaths 17,476. For the good news, our discharges increased in two weeks by 60, so we went from 1,100 to 1,160 discharges, and the state recovery rate remains at 97%, which is wonderful that that's consistent. We know 97% of the people who get COVID recover, which is great news. And just to clarify, I think you said the state had 944 cases. You meant 944,000, correct? Correct. Okay. Give us a quick update on uh, your testing capability. Yes, we're continuing to have the same amount of testing that we've talked about, but we have a new uh, place that we're doing testing, so I just kind of want to mention that. Uh, We had had a drive-through in in, uh, Warrenville. We did close that drive-through. We had talked about trying to make testing easier for people and a place that they could do it more rapidly, and we had talked about that we were looking at a site in Downers Grove. Well, we opened that yesterday. It is at 22... 2205 West Butterfield Road in Downers Grove. So that's, if you went on Butterfield and went past Finley, just over 355 on the left right there is the testing site. So it's easy to get to. You go there for shopping. It'll be easy for people to get to. It is not a drive-through at this moment because we're awaiting some zoning variants for drive-through, but it is a quick walk-in. So it's by scheduled appointment. Uh, you walk right in, you get your swab, and you get right out. So it's no waiting, just um, 
you know, very quick and rapid testing. You do have to park going, walk in, but very close parking. You do have to have a physician's order. You do have to have an appointment. It is going to be open seven days a week from 6.30 in the morning to 2.30 in the afternoon, but it will be closed on New Year's Day, but it will be open all the rest of the time. And when we do start doing uh, vaccinations for the public, we will, if the health department allows us to, we will be doing that there as well. We're going to start doing the Moderna vaccines for our employees there on December 30th. And so we will be doing 60 employee-only appointments um, December 30th, December 31st, January 2nd, and then 70 on January 3rd with, if we get the vaccines, another 500 potential um, employee vaccines for the next week. Long-term, we're hoping that the site will become a drive-through and will uh, be more of a permanent site for drive-through services, not just swabbing and vaccinations, but uh, in the future, maybe laboratory testing, other things that can be done drive-through that you don't have to go walk in and, and do other things. But we're also hoping to have a walk-in clinic and physician offices there, but that's not finalized yet. But right now it is being used temporarily as a swabbing site and potential vaccine site. I'm trying to picture where you said that is. And are those tall office buildings right there? Yes. Okay. Yes. So right when you go over 355 from this direction going out west, it's just right on the left um, right there. And there, it, there, I think it's called the Esplanade Center or something. Okay. But yeah, it's easy, easy access. It's right there. A lot of uh, the talk from the governor's office, at his concern and his staff's concern is ICU beds and ventilators. Can you kind of give us an update on, you know, the maybe the percentage or the number of ICU beds you have available and ventilators? How, how are you as it relates to that? So we technically have 40 ICU beds, um, but we do have the ability to swing into other areas that uh, can be ICU beds as well. They're just not licensed ICU beds, but they, they can work in emergent situation in case we needed more ICU beds. So we've never had a problem having enough ICU beds. Currently, we have seven available ICU beds as of this moment. Um, in terms of ventilators, we um, have a total of 24 ventilators, but we can also get more if we needed to from our sister hospital. Currently, we have eight of our ventilators in use and 16 available. Of those eight, as I said, only four of them are COVID patients using them and four are other types of patients using them. And are those used pretty routinely uh, post-surgery or during surgery or anything like that? Well, we have a different type of ventilator during surgery for post-surgical cases who require an intensive care level. They're used for that. Um, and then, and those are short-term uses usually. And then there are people who get ill with other illnesses that require ventilation. We've heard a lot about positivity rates uh, recently that had spiked up and they might be subsiding a little bit right now. Are the positivity rates at your testing centers um, at about the same levels as, as our region as a whole? Yes. For the most part, we follow the same um, positivity rate as the Illinois regions, although they vary from region to region. Um, since the pan beginning of the pandemic, EEH has had an overall positivity rate of 11%. And in the last week, which would be uh, December 21st to December 27th, 
our positivity rate is at 14.7%. It varies. It varies on the number of people getting tested and then the number of people that turned out positive from those being tested. To those of us that aren't in the medical community, you know, 10 to 15% seems very low given the fact that it seems like a lot of the people that go to get tested have COVID-like symptoms. So it seems low to us, and yet we're told that numbers, you know, over 10% are high. Is is that just because there's so many routine tests being given also? Yes, yeah, so it really just depends on how many people are getting tested for what reason. So anybody who's going to have any kind of procedure in the hospital uh, or in an outpatient area would get a test, whether they have symptoms or not. Um a lot of people get nervous because they've been exposed and, and want to get tested, and they, they do get tested. Um, sometimes it's if you're going to be traveling, you get tested. So there's a lot of reasons to get tested. Not all of them are because you have symptoms. And then there are people without symptoms that don't get tested who do have COVID. So the positivity rate is just a gauge. It's not an exact science. So, you know, so 10%, 15%, we, we know that at least that percentage of the public has has uh, is positive, and there's probably a significant amount that has it that's not being tested. I mean, even people with symptoms, not everybody's getting tested. A lot of people are just staying home and, and not even figuring out that they've had COVID because we find that out from the antibody testing. So it's just a gauge. It's not an exact science. It just helps keep us aware of what's going on in the community. I know it doesn't appear that there was a big spike after Thanksgiving and that healthcare professionals are still very concerned about a potential spike after Christmas. Um, does it appear that that's happening yet? And if it might be too early to, to tell, when when would you expect a spike if there is such a spike? So, yes, we are worried that there'll be a spike post-Christmas, um, especially since it was a nice long weekend and a lot of people did travel and um, a lot of families still got together. But um, we're anticipating that we would see the spike within five to nine days after Christmas. Um, so somewhere between December 31st and January 5th, we should see something. We have noticed a couple the last two days, we've had more positive test results, but nothing that we would call a spike. Have you had quite a few young people under the age of 18 that required hospitalization? No, we've not had a lot. We've had uh, five total that were under the year, age of 18 that needed to be hospitalized, and we transferred them to another facility since we do not care for kids that young in our building with that kind of illness. So we did transfer them out, but there were only five that required that. Now, we've had many young kids that have tested positive, but they have not required hospitalization. And I am... Um... I'm looking at uh, some of the numbers you've given me. So you've had uh, 1,160 patients discharged and another 138 who passed. So you figure that's somewhere around 1,300 patients, inpatient at one time or another, and you've had five uh, under the age of 18. So that that I would consider uh, to be good news, that not a lot of young folks are getting very ill. But obviously it does happen, right? It does happen. So initially, the hospital was supposed to get 1,950 doses of the uh, original Pfizer vaccine. Is that about what you received? 
So we, we received 1950 at Elmhurst and 1950 at Edward Hospital. And actually, I think we received a little bit more than that. Uh, so we were very lucky, and um, we were able to take all of those doses at both of our facilities and administer all of them. And we just now received a shipment in of the Moderna uh, vaccines yesterday. I don't know have the total amount, but we do have the Moderna, and we will be starting to vaccinate, as I said, our employees with Moderna vaccines. And is that a two-part vaccine as well as the Pfizer? It is a two-part um, the, there's a few differences. The time frame between the two doses is different. So I think Pfizer's 21 days, Moderna's 28 days. Um, the way you store it is slightly different, but basically the rest of it is the same. And so, you know, whichever one employees get, both should be effective. How many days did it take to actually administer the vaccine to that first group of employees, that 1950 or 2000? So we administered all of the doses in a five-day time frame. Wow. That had to be quite an operation. Yes, quite an operation. You should have seen all of it. It was like, um, you know, all these tables set up, and you came in, you got your number, you went to your table, you got your vaccination, you got monitored, and you went out the door. The next one was sent over there, and it was all because there's so much documentation and monitoring, and everything has to be done just so. And it was, it was very smooth, went very well. Um, I was I was so impressed with all of the work that went into it. Dr. Mazir um, helped head this up. All of the staff that were involved, our infection control nurses, our um, a lot of volunteer nurses who worked. Um, yeah, it was really quite amazing, and and everybody seemed to experience it in a very positive way. And um, how many employees roughly have not been vaccinated? About is it about half? Um, well, because of all the vaccinations that were not just employees, they were physicians as well. So, you know, we have a lot of physicians who work, who, who serve our patients here who are not necessarily employed by us. So we got a lot of different people um, vaccinated that required it as, as a main caregiver in the hospital. Um, so I, I think it's about when you add that up, 5,000 is a little more than half of our employees. We have about 8,500 employees. But I would say it's half of all the people we needed to vaccinate. So I know you told me a couple of weeks ago that at this point it's voluntary among your staff to uh, get the vaccine. How long do you think it will take before you're able to give all employees who have volunteered the vaccine? Is it going to be another month or a couple weeks? Well, we're hoping... By the end of um, the next two to three weeks, we will have everybody vaccinated. That's our goal. And do you uh, have any idea how many employees as a percentage are not wanting to take the vaccine? No, we don't know yet because we haven't had enough slots for everybody yet, so we can't tell who's not going to do it. You know, we expect that there will be a percentage that either – you know, feel like they have some high risk, whether it's a pregnancy or they're, you know, on a transplant list or some other reason why they do not want to take it. But in general, we are not having a lot of employees not want it. As a matter of fact, people continue to call and ask when they can get it. So uh, I think our employees and our physicians are very excited and um, and very willing to be uh, vaccinated. It's some people, it took a little bit more education. We had to, uh, to bring 
um, our infection control physicians to different groups of employees that maybe didn't understand as clearly all of the ramifications of the vaccination and all the potential side effects. Once they, it was explained to them and um, they were helped to register, then they were more than willing to take the vaccine. Recognizing that each of the vaccines that have been approved and received so far, the, the Pfizer and the Moderna, um, both require a second vaccination. Were that those second doses of vaccine received the same time the first, or, or are you kind of waiting on that still? No, we don't have them, but we were told at the time the first ones went out that we would receive the same amount um, for the second dose vaccine, and we didn't have to worry about that. So we are anticipating that we will get everything that we need in time to give everybody their second dose, and we're already scheduling people for their second dose. Can you talk a little bit about the side effects that your employees may or may not have experienced, you know, how severe, what percentage had them, just to kind of give us an idea of if we need to worry about those side effects? So um, from my understanding, we really didn't have anybody with severe side effects. We did have a couple people who had um, more side effects than others. So the side effects that people seem to be experiencing is a soreness in the injection site. So in your arm gets sore, pretty similar to uh, when you have your flu vaccine, it does get sore. Um, uh, some people experienced headaches, body aches, muscle aches, joint soreness, but it didn't last more than a day or two. And um, the severe, the most severe side effects we saw was an increased heart rate and a shortness of breath which didn't last very long. So we, we monitor people to make sure that they don't have bad side effects. So I would say that we did not experience much. I know one hospital in the area did have people with, with a little more uh, um, side effect around the rapid heart rate and the shortness of breath, uh, and they were looking into why they did, but we did not have anything much more. I know in an organization as large and complex as a hospital does a lot of planning, uh, including planning for pandemics. And we talked about that a lot of several months ago, and you never really know what you're up against until it, it hits you. So my question is, I know you did related to planning for the vaccine. Um, did you run into any, any unexpected problems, either storing or, or administering the vaccine? You know, it was, it was so amazing to see how it was done. No, we did not have any problems. The only thing that came up that wasn't a problem, but it was kind of an unexpected surprise, was the vials we had been told had five doses per vial. And so you want to make sure that you're administering the right amount, you know, and you have, you have to have, um, they have to be cooled or warmed up for the right amount of time. And then um, the injection pulling the, the fluid out of the vial needs to be done correctly. And it turned out there were actually six doses per vial, not five. And then we were worried that if we gave all six, we wouldn't get enough doses for the next set. But it turns out there are always going to be six doses per vial. For whatever reason, it was done differently than they said. And so we ended up with extra doses that way, which we were able to use because we, it was confirmed that every vial would contain six doses. So that, that's one of those things that apparently didn't get communicated very well down the line, did it? Things happened, but at least we were able to figure it out, and no, no doses went unused. <laughs> did you personally get a vaccination yet? 
I was one of the first ones to get the vaccine. Actually, I was in the trib, a picture of me on, uh, what day was this? December 18th. My picture is in there getting my vaccination. Well, I did not see that. <laughs> I was one of the first people, and um, I did have a little sore arm, but not too bad because I moved it around a lot, and so it didn't, it didn't get, you know, it wasn't held still, so it didn't get a sore, and I did not have any other side effects from it. So I will be getting my next vaccine on January 7th. They do say the second vaccine, you have a few more side effects than the first one, so I will be able to tell you after that how that goes. But, um, yes, I was very proud to get my vaccine and proud to have it done by one of our new uh, nurse residents who volunteered. She had been working in the ICU here. First, you know, you're out of school. She hasn't even been out a whole year, and she's giving the president of the hospital her vaccination, and she did a fantastic job, and I was very impressed. Do you know if it's the same formulation and the same quantity, the second dose is the first? Yes. If we're of the Pfizer, it will be exactly the same. So um, do you think, and I know this is an unfair question, do you think some folks outside of healthcare workers, like some first responders, might get the vaccine before the end of January? Yes. Um, CVS and Walgreens are partnering together to start addressing the nursing home residents and their employees, so that should be happening soon. And um, we have been partnering with the health department on administering to EMS and first responders. So we've already started that, uh, and they're working with us to make sure we do it in the way that the state wants us to do it. One question I get a lot is, related to the effectiveness of the vaccine. And, and we've heard, depending on the vaccine, that it's between 90 and 95% effective, at least as it relates to the testing that's been done. How does that compare to a typical vaccine, like a polio vaccine? So it's pretty similar. Uh, polio vaccines is another very effective vaccine, and their uh, effectiveness rate is between 95 and 99%. So pretty similar. Um, there are other vaccines that aren't even as, as effective as this, and we still give them. But, uh, you know, because of how dangerous this illness is, just like polio, we want it to be above 90%. And so I think it's at a very good effectiveness rate. So you mentioned you're getting your second um, dose on January 7th. And let's assume it might take a couple of weeks to really do its thing and really protect you as well as it's able. So... It's the end of January, and a lot of folks um, still haven't had that vaccination. Why might it be necessary for you to continue to wear a mask even though you're protected? Well, first of all, there is that 5% that may not be effective, and so we don't want to take a chance that I pass it on to somebody else, as well as we want people to continue to protect themselves and it's very hard to say oh you don't have to wear it and you do have to wear it so it's better off that we all continue to wear it until everybody is vaccinated or at least 80 percent of the of the general public has been vaccinated or has an immunity to COVID. that's when we will know people will be less at risk for um, spreading the disease and we can get herd immunity so hopefully we're not going to be wearing these masks in 2022 right that's the goal. I would like it to be done by maybe maybe July or August. It's, that's my fantasy anyway. <laughs> I'll, I'm on board for even earlier, but uh, <laughs> but I guess I'll, I'll take what we can get. Um, I know that you know your your uh, staff has been working very, very hard 
for the better part of nine or 10 months with this, this terrible disease right in house. And so my question relates to how are they doing? I, they do know that there is, uh, an end in sight to this, although you just said it might be July. How are they holding out, you know, especially during the holidays when they probably didn't get to celebrate the way they normally do? And many of them were working through the holidays. Yeah, I think um, people are energized by the vaccines. Even even though it's going to take a while for them to take effect, it is some hope. And so it has energized people. We tried to do a lot of things here to um, boost morale during the holidays, and I think that worked. We put together a cute little video. The staff really liked that. We, um, you know, that we gave food. We we did a lot of um, rounding to make sure the staff were doing well. I think it's hard, though. I don't. I think when the holidays, the letdown after the holidays is going to be even more especially with the weather turning dark and it being cold and snowy. And so as much support as our caregivers can continue to give from the community, it will be really important as well as from us. Um, as much patience as patients and family members can have because um, I know everybody's scared and tired and do not want this illness to continue. And it does impact your ability to feel comfortable and safe in the hospital, even though we're probably a lot safer than anywhere else you go. Um, I just think that people have to be extra kind to each other and extra understanding. And I think our employees are going to have a, a letdown after the holidays, and it's going to be really important for us to continue to be there for them and support them. Um, they, they're great. I can't ask anything else of them. They're wonderful, and, um, and they're the best employees I could ever ask for. Have you seen any let up in COVID-related anxiety in the general public and or your staff for that matter? I know that for a while we, we read and you, you communicated to us quite a bit that folks were really suffering from mental health issues related to the lockdowns. I, no, there's no let up right now. And, and actually, I think the holidays were stressful because they're not, weren't used, it wasn't like their usual traditions. And a lot of people who don't have family were feeling very isolated. Uh, some of the comments some of the people in the mental health programs have said is it just didn't feel like Christmas or holiday season. And um, not everybody had the opportunity to have any kind of gathering with their family members um, and or any way to celebrate. And so we have to understand not everybody is blessed with Zoom or um, close relatives by or or the kind of support that they would normally have. And so it, it's even harder on uh, the mental health issues, as well as the people who are recovering from COVID. There are a lot of people that have um, neurological issues, um, whether it's brain fog, whether it's confusion, whether it's um, just, you know, even all the way to mental illness from from COVID. And so there's even more need for mental health care. And so we're just lucky we have those services available in our community. And, and again, please reach out to anybody you know who may suffer from depression because now is a really difficult time. Do you have any uh, parting thoughts uh, as we go into 2021? Well, first of all, I want to say this illness is still a really serious illness. And even though we're tired of it, 
it, it continues to take very important lives away from us. And I want to acknowledge um, a physician, Dr. Tom Brown, who has been, um, who was an Elmhurst resident. He passed on Sunday, um, and he was a neurosurgeon affiliated with the Chicago Institute of Neurosurgery and Neuro Research called CINN um, in Elmhurst. He served on the Elmhurst Board of Trustees. He uh, was a member of the Elmhurst Healthcare Board of Governors. He served on the campaign cabinet and was co-chair of the physician subcommittee for the Elmhurst Memorial Hospital Foundation Capital Fundraising Campaign for the new hospital on the main campus. He was part of the board post um, the merger with Edward Hospital. Uh, he, he and his wife, Lois, uh, who was a nurse at Elmhurst Hospital as well, have been married for over 50 years and have had, had three children. Um, they lived in Elmhurst before he, they re, he retired several years ago. He then moved to Egg Harbor, Wisconsin and Bonita Springs, Florida. And um, he had been recognized by the hospital with the Distinguished Service Award in 2013 and is with great sadness that he passed from COVID down in Bonita Springs, Florida on Sunday. Uh, we don't know anything about his memorial services yet. When we do, we will be getting that out. But um, I just wanted to say I appreciated everything he did. He was a gentle soul, a phenomenal surgeon, really important to our community. And um, this is how serious this illness is taking very, very important lives. Every life matters, and we need to stay vigilant and, and help each other through this no matter how long it takes. And 2021, uh, I'm hoping, will be a different year and that we will get more energy as we get more news about how that this is going to be eradicated, but it's still going to be a journey, and we still need to help each other out through this time. And I thank everybody in the community for everything you've done. Well, our thoughts and prayers are with Dr. Brown's family and with those uh, other families who've lost loved ones this past year due to COVID. Um, it's been a really, really tough year, and uh, I, I pray for all the healthcare workers that uh, they continue to keep their chin up and uh, keep doing what they've been doing because we're very proud and grateful for them. So, And we're grateful for all the time you've given us this, this uh, past year and look forward to talking to you again soon, Pam. And Happy New Year to you and everybody out there. Happy New Year. Thank you. Marunam che Hosi Mehta. Ne ho achijoma manu chu. Shub vichar, shub shabda, ne shub karma. Hitle Manashni, Kawashni, Kunashni. Ane jare achijo ne ho vichar karu chu. Jare ho e down, low down. पर ट्यून इन करो अने तमें भी ट्राई करो तो तमें भी एना खबर पड़ से अने तमें खुश तसो के आ समझ पड़ी तमें थैंक यू शुक्रिया हाई दिस इस होसी मेता एंड आम ट्राइंग टू प्रोजेक्ट पर ई टाउन लो डाउन इफ यू ट्यून इन टू दैट एंड ट्राई � which is what I look for. And when I tune into E-Town, e Lowdown, that is what you should try too. Check them out. You'll be happy and glad that you did. Thank you. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at 
the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right, nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.